0: Chapter five of an essay of the shaking palsy by james parkinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five considerations respecting the means of cure. The inquiries made in the preceding pages yield it is to be much regretted but little more than evidence of inference. Nothing direct and satisfactory has been obtained. All that has been ventured to assume here has been that the disease depends on a disordered state of that part of the medulla which is contained in the cervical vertebrae but of what nature that morbid change is and whether originating in the medulla itself in its membranes or in the containing theca is at present the subject of doubt and conjecture but although at present uninformed as to the precise nature of the disease still it ought not to be considered as one against which there exists no countervailing remedy on the contrary there appears to be sufficient reason for hoping that some remedial process may ere long be discovered by which at least the progress of the disease may be stopped it seldom happens that the agitation extends beyond the arms within the first two years which period, therefore if we were disposed to divide the disease into stages might be said to comprise the first stage. In this period, it is very probable that remedial means might be employed with success, and even, if unfortunately deterred to a later period, they might then arrest the farther progress of the disease, although the removing of the effects already produced might be hardly to be expected. From a review of the changes which had taken place in the case of Count de Lordac, it seems as if we were able to trace the order and mode in which the morbid changes may proceed in this disease from any occasional cause the thecal ligament the membranes or the medulla itself may pass into the state of simple excitement or irritation which may be gradually succeeded by such a local afflux and determination of blood into the minute vessels as may terminate in actual but slow inflammation The result of this would be a thickening of the theca, or membranes, and perhaps an increase in the volume of the medulla itself, which would gradually occasion such a degree of pressure against the sides of the unyielding canal as must eventually intercept the influence of the brain upon the inferior portion of the medullary column, and upon the parts on which the nerves of this portion are disposed. From this review, and assuming that the morbid changes in this disease may not be widely dissimilar from those which occurred in the case of Count de Lourat, the chance of relief from the proposed mode of treatment may appear to be sufficient to warrant its trial. In such case, then, at whatever period of the disease it might be proposed to attempt the cure, blood should first be taken from the upper part of the neck, unless contraindicated by any particular circumstance after which vesicatory should be applied to the same part and a purulent discharge obtained by appropriate use of the sabine liniment having recourse to the application of a fresh blister when from the diminution of the discharging surface pus is not secreted in a sufficient quantity should the blisters be found too inconvenient or a sufficient quantity of discharge not be obtained thereby an issue of at least an inch and a half in length might be established on each side of the vertebral columna in its superior part these it is presumed would be best formed with caustic and kept open with any proper substance could it have been imagined that such considerable benefit indeed that such astonishing cures could have been effected by issues in case of palsy of the lower extremities from diseased spine Although satisfied with ascribing these cases to scrofulous action, we are in fact as little informed respecting the nature of the affection inducing the carious state of the vertebrae as we are respecting the peculiar change of structure which takes place in this disease. Equally uninformed are we also as to the peculiar kind of morbid action which takes place in the ligaments of the joints as well as that which takes place in different instances of deep-seated pains and affections of the parts contained in the head, thorax, and abdomen, and in all which cases the inducing of a purulent discharge in their neighborhood is so frequently productive of a cure. Experiment has not indeed been yet employed to prove, but analogy certainly warrants the hope that similar advantages might be derived from the use of the means enumerated, in the present disease it is obvious that the chance of obtaining relief will depend in a great measure on the period at which the means are employed as in every other disease so here the earlier the remedies are resorted to the greater will be the probability of success but in this disease there is one circumstance which demands particular attention the long period to which it may be extended one of the peculiar symptoms festinus may not occur until the disease has existed ten or twelve years or more hence when looking for the period within which our hopes of remedial aid is to be limited we may guided by the slow progress of the malady extend it to a great length when compared with that within which we should be obliged to confine ourselves in most other diseases But it is much to be apprehended, as in many other cases, that the resolution of the patients will seldom be sufficient to enable them to persevere through the length of time which the proposed process will necessarily require. As slow as is the progress of the disease, so slow in all probability must be the period of the return to health. In most cases, especially in those in which the disease has been allowed to exist long unopposed, it may be found that all that art is capable of accomplishing is that of checking its further progress nor will this be regarded as a trifle when by reference to the history of the disease is seen the train of harassing evils which would be thus avoided but it seems as if there existed reason for hoping for more for supposing change of structure to have taken place it is extremely probable that this change may be merely increase in mass or volume by interstitial addition, the consequence of increased action in the minute vessels of the part. In that case, should the instituting of a purulent discharge in a neighboring part act in the manner which we would presume it may, should it by keeping up a constant discharge not merely alter the determination but diminish the inordinate action of the vessels in the diseased part and at the same time excite the absorbance to such increased action as may remove the added matter there will exist strong ground for hope that a happy though slow restoration to health may be obtained until we are better informed respecting the nature of this disease the employment of internal medicines is scarcely warrantable unless analogy should point out some remedy the trial of which rational hope might authorize. Particular circumstances, indeed, must arise in different cases, which the aid of medicine may be demanded, and the intelligent will never fail to avail themselves of any opportunity of making trial of the influence of mercury, which has in so many instances manifested its power in correcting derangement of structure. The weakened powers of the muscle and the affected parts is so prominent a symptom as to be very liable to mislead the inattentive who may regard the disease as a mere consequence of constitutional debility. If this notion be pursued, and tonic medicines and highly nutritious diet be directed, no benefit is likely to be thus obtained, since the disease depends not on general weakness, but merely on the interruption of the flow of the nervous influence to the affected parts. It is indeed much to be regretted that this malady is generally regarded by the sufferers in this point of view so discouraging to the employment of remedial means. Seldom occurring before the age of fifty, and frequently yielding but little inconvenience for several months, it is generally considered as the irremediable diminution of the nervous influence naturally resulting from declining life, and remedies therefore are seldom sought for. Although unable to trace the connection by which a disordered state of the stomach and bowels may induce a morbid action in the part of the medulla spinalis, yet taught by the instruction of Mr. Abernethy, little hesitation need be employed before we determine on the probability of such currents, The power possessed by sympathy of inducing such disordered action in a distant part and the probability of such disordered action producing derangement of structure can hardly be denied. The following case seems to prove at least that the mysterious sympathetic influence which so closely stimulates the forms of other diseases may induce such symptoms as would seem to menace the formation of a disease not unlike to that which we have been here treating. A. B., a man fifty-four years of age of temperate habits and regular state of bowels became gradually affected with slight numbness and prickling with a feeling of weakness in both arms accompanied by a sense of fullness about the shoulders as if produced by the pressure of a strong ligature and at times a slight trembling of the hands during the night the fullness, numbness and prickling were much increased the appetite had been diminished for several weeks and the abdomen on being examined, felt as though containing considerable accumulation. Before adopting any other measures, and as there appeared to be no marks of vascular fullness, it was determined to empty the bowels. This was done effectually by moderate doses of calomel, with the occasional help of epsom salt, and in about ten days, by these means alone, the complaints were entirely removed. Before concluding these pages, it may be proper to observe once more, that an important object proposed to be obtained by them is the leading of the attention of those who humanely employ anatomical examination in detecting the causes and nature of diseases, particularly to this malady. By their benevolent labors, its real nature may be ascertained and appropriate modes of relief, or even of cure, pointed out. To such researches, the healing art is already much indebted for the enlargement of its powers of lessening the evils of suffering humanity little is the public aware of the obligations it owes to those who led by professional ardor and the dictates of duty have devoted themselves to these pursuits under circumstances most unpleasant and forbidding every person of consideration and feeling may judge of the advantages yielded by the philanthropic exertions of a howard But how few can estimate the benefits bestowed on mankind by the labors of a Morgani, Hunter, or Bailey? End of chapter five End of an Essay of the Shaking Palsy by James Parkinson